0: Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you.
1: Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of His hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio.
2: It's we
3: Well, good morning. I'm Paul filling in again for Carmen. One more day, mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. She'll be back on Monday. She uh, shared, as I mentioned a couple of days ago, some pictures of her ski trip out to Colorado. And um, I should have sent her a picture from our porch because I'm in the Twin Cities. We got a fair amount of snow and our deck. Well, let's just say it's quite well covered right now. Hmm. Well, as we look at our Growing Your Faith verse of the day like we do right now, I love this verse. Uh, of course, a lot of verses, but this one here, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Hopefully you just heard it, but if not, here it is again. For God so is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when, Jesus, when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only God's grace that you have been saved. Now, as we're starting out this morning, maybe you're feeling a bit overwhelmed. Maybe over- overwhelmed by some bad news. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the day ahead of you. Overwhelmed by health issues in your life. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by anxiety or anger. Overwhelmed to the point you're either just sitting there not knowing what to do or to the point of lashing out. I want to propose to you that maybe you're not overwhelmed enough right now. Okay, before you throw something at your radio or maybe you're listening on your phone on the Faith Radio app, before you slam your phone up against anything, hear me out. There are two ways of being overwhelmed. One, maybe you're experiencing right now, you're overwhelmed by such bad, such uck, and you just, yeah, no question, there's that. But there's also being overwhelmed By good, by God and his love, his grace, his blessings. If you've not read Ephesians lately, there are some verses there that will overwhelm you. Almost from the get-go, Paul just offers an amazing view of God's lavish love and grace for us. Let's just start at verse uh, 3 of chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So he praised God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has shown us or showered us with kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. Let's jump to verse 11 of chapter 1. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he has chosen us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, you jump to chapter 2 real quickly, and it starts out kind of on the dark side because Paul is stating some of the bad news that we were once dead and subject to God's wrath. But then, here we go, verses 4 and 5, it's our, our Growing Your Faith verses. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins... He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. The Apostle Paul just continues, verse 6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus, so God can point us in all, point to us in all future generations as, as examples of the incredible wealth of grace and kindness toward us that He has shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ. I tell you, as you continue through Ephesians, because of this overwhelming good news, this overwhelming love and grace lavished on lavished on us by God the Father through Jesus Christ. We can be empowered to go and do likewise, even in some very difficult and negatively overwhelming situations. I hope you think about that this day, especially today, the first anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, just yesterday, the U.N. General Assembly, they uh, overwhelmingly approved a resolution calling on Russia to leave Ukraine. You know what a year ago was thought going to be just a short conflict where Russia would overwhelm the Ukrainians in just a few days? That nation has fought valiantly, and many times by the acts of individuals and churches and ministries. In one minute, I see Vitali was able to join us. He's joining us from Ukraine, uh, Vitali Sabko, as well as Marshall Wade. He's here in the U.S. They're part of a ministry called the Shepherds Foundation, which God has used to support the people of Ukraine during this dark time in amazing ways. It's an amazing story. Stay with us. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Well, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is marking the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of his country. In a 15-minute video entitled The Year of Invincibility released this morning, the leader offered a defiant message saying, we will defeat everyone. He described the February 24, 2022 day as the longest day of our lives. And while there have been many great efforts by Ukrainian forces over the past year, there have been... Untold millions of small efforts by individuals, churches and ministries in Ukraine that have made a huge difference in in the effort by Ukraine to survive. I keep going back to uh, the Lord of the Rings. Actually, this was The Hobbit. Gandalf saying, I have found that it is the small everyday deed of ordinary folks that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. Well, it is out of love and kindness, and the call of the gospel that the Shepherds Foundation has been active in Ukraine, actually for a long time, but even more so in the last year. Joining us right now is Vitali Sabko. He's with Shepherds Foundation and Camp. Uh, pardon me, is it Camp Maximum or Maximum Camp? I keep forget. The website is Maximum.Camp, right, Vitali? Yes, it's Camp Maximum. Camp Maximum. And then uh, uh, Marshall Wade, who's uh, with the Shepherd Foundation here in the U.S. What a year it has been for uh, you, you, you guys. Now, let's talk about what Camp Maximum and what Shepherd's Foundation were doing pre war. Who'd like to take that? Marshall, would you? Sure. Um, Shepherd's Foundation has
4: been involved in Ukraine really since the early 90s. And for many years, we sent uh, medical and dental teams, Uh, we sent people from uh, churches to do adventure camps in the summertime, uh, teachers, attorneys, uh, people from all walks of American life uh, to share with our hosts in Ukraine and to work together to spread the gospel there uh Vitaly interestingly uh was 7 I believe when he first started coming to our uh adventure camps uh but in 2015 we built uh Camp Maximum and uh Vitaly what uh what year did you actually join as the director of the camp
2: Yeah that was uh 2016 morning.
3: Okay excellent so, so you've been there and From there, um, Vitaly, describe what Camp Maximum has been doing, again, up before the war.
2: Well, our primary focus as a a camp that operates all year round, all 12 months, uh, we do uh, regular uh, kids and uh, teens programs uh one of the other specialties for us is uh programs for people with disabilities so we're the first camp in the country uh organizing programs for people uh with disabilities and doing uh family programs like that wow. we we also uh, because the war with Russia, in fact, started back in 2014, and we have veterans of that war already, we we are doing trauma healing mm. and PTSD related programming for those soldiers, among many other educational programs that we do with schools.
3: Yeah, a lot of people they think, okay, the war started a year ago, but as you just said, there, there's been conflict, there's been strife with with Russia going back almost a decade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Okay. But then this phase of the war, what started a year ago started, how did that change what you at Camp Maximum were doing?
2: Uh, so... Several aspects changed, and first of all, we had to transition uh, through the period uh, that started right a year ago uh, on February 24th when we really dealt with a a large flow of refugees and had to help with evacuations, bringing people to safety and providing housing. And that period lasted up until uh, late May. Okay. and then we were able to transition into uh, summer programming for uh kids who lost their appearance in war and other uh refugee kids and different groups of families and kids there so we were able to do two summer months of programming and as of lately uh we are uh developing and deploying programs for uh for widows Families who lost their husbands and wives in war. Uh, We are developing PTSD, uh, deploying PTSD uh, related programs for war veterans and, in fact, civilians we are dealing with the consequences of trauma and trying to identify the new senses in life. And that fits per- perfectly in the context of the camp, of the quiet environment we're in, in central Ukraine, away from all the dangerous infrastructure. So we're thankful we're able to do that. Right. And recently our new program uh, in partnership with LymFit uh, is uh, aiming to set up a prosthetic lab at Camp Maximum to provide uh, free prosthetics for uh, both military and civilians who lost their limbs.
3: Okay. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about that as we continue. Plus, also, Vitaly, I really want to know, I mean, we hear the news here in the U.S. about uh, the blackouts and all this because of uh, the targeting by Russian forces of civilian interstru- infrastructure. I'm sure it's been an amazing Amazingly difficult uh, winter, and we want to talk about that when we come back in about uh, 90 seconds. Again, talking with Vitaly Sobko of the uh, of Camp Maximum and uh, uh, Marshall Wade from Shepherds Foundation. Actually, Shepherds Foundation is a sponsor for Camp Maximum. You can find out about both of those at shepherdsfoundation.org. I'm Paul, sitting in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoon. Afternoons is called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at (laughs) myfaithradio.com. got that from a video that came out of Ukraine, oh boy, almost a year ago, a little less than that, of people singing worship songs in the midst of uh, – they're basically sheltering in a bomb shelter and singing worship songs to God. I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen, and I'm talking now with Vitaly Sabko from Ukraine as well as uh, Marshall Wade, usually uh, up in Minnesota but down in Arizona now enjoying the warmth and got away from the snow. I, I'm sure you're very happy about that, Marshall,
4: yeah, I am, but you know what? I'm coming home uh today uh to see the
3: grandkids, so oh. yeah, bring your boots, bring your boots- I picked a good time. <laughs> You did, you did. Well, getting back to our conversation about Ukraine and, and the work of the Shepherds Foundation there. Now, Marshall, as you were listening to uh, Vitali talk about, you know, what's been going on and you've been able to be a part of it. From your perspective, I mean, you, you were telling me just a bit ago that uh, Marshall's been a little, or rather, uh, vitali has been a little modest.
4: Yes, exactly. Um Vitaly is a logistical expert. Um, he had been very successful in the business world prior to joining us as director of Camp Maximum. And when the war started, he began to accumulate a fleet of about 30 vans because he knew that there were people that were going to be, need to be evacuated from the combat areas. So he and his team uh, of drivers, um uh went into the combat zones. We have uh some of the vans that actually have uh shrapnel and bullet holes uh in them. Um thankfully that was a rare occurrence, but uh our drivers were very courageous. And then as Vitaly said, because uh the camp is in central Ukraine, it was a perfect place to uh bring the refugees. Uh, to the camp, and then we would try to transport them to safe zones in uh, western Ukraine. In addition to that, he also uh, started a factory and manufactured boxes and use local vendors to uh, make food boxes that for ten dollars they could feed one person for a week. Mm. And he he and the team distributed through the churches in Ukraine over thirty thousand food boxes to people who couldn't
3: leave their homes. But Charlie, you're holding back on us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, as we continue our conversation, Vitaly, I mean, uh, amazing. God bless for what, bless you for what you've done and continue to do. Now, let's talk about what it's been like. You were talking before how you changed things up in the springtime to help these refugees. You had your summer programs to to help out uh, kids, especially orphans and such. Then fall and winter came, and you know we heard all the stories about Russia attacking, you know, targeting. Power stations, infrastructure, basically plunging much of Ukraine on and off in the dark during this past winter. Uh, what has it been like for
2: you? Well, uh, approaching winter, uh, we, uh, all of us uh, from across the world were praying for a mild winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew the difficult winter is coming and you know like in a very uh famous uh, tv series the winter is coming uh, that's exactly the expectations we had uh knowing what what was uh planned by russians and uh unfortunately we had months of regular rocket attacks on the ukraine infrastructure where when they would hit electric supply and power generating uh, facilities so we spent months uh with uh very major electricity blackouts and for people residing in residential complexes uh run on electricity alone without like natural gas supply that meant as soon as the power was out their heating was out and their Mm. pumps for water were out and so for the cities like Kiev and Dnipro and other places, that meant that the authorities had to react fast providing generators and uh, repairing things super fast so people would not freeze. And for Shepherd's Foundation, that meant that we had to reprioritize and uh, use the uh, funds to support other people and organizations with generators and we also were able to purchase a generator for camp maximum to continue to run through the win- winter time so uh yeah that was a dark moment but at the same time the entire country understood that we uh there is the end to this, and thankfully, uh, thanks to God, uh, we had a, v- a relatively mild winter with temperatures around zero centigrade that helped us uh, be in the cold, but be in a relatively mild cold, and that was, in fact, bearable. But that was in a regular environment and communities but people at the front lines where everything was damaged and destroyed or near the front lines that that's where that was the hardest and we in the hospitals we're seeing lots of people with frozen limbs and they they get they lose their limbs they get amputated and uh yeah that's where the situation because of that got really really difficult and those are thousands and thousands of people (laughs) still living those uh stone age conditions really that's amazing so sad. Well again we're talking
3: with Vitaly Sabko from Camp Maximum in Ukraine as well as uh Marshall Wade from Shepherd's Foundation and uh, Vitali um here it is a year later and I know you, you, you I'm you're talking to the people in the street. What's the spirit of the people? What's the what's the mood right now in Ukraine?
2: Oh we stay strong we 95 percent of ukrainians uh believe that ukraine is going to win a uh, win very soon i can tell you that all of us do our best to help be that helping our friends in the military be that helping our neighbors who relocated from other parts of the world or who just need help in various uh, circumstances it feels like we're one big family trying to help each other. And it's even more encouraging to look back and see how we were not left alone as a nation and as a country. You know, they gave us 72 hours to uh to lose our independence and to lose our country. But a year later we still stand, and we have a large global community of supporters who 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 really have seen what Russia is all about and what their true intents were in Ukraine. And it's it's a blessing to really understand that God has been faithful at helping us sustain. And there is a God's plan how this terrible war will be realized uh, into a good impact across the world. Mm-hmm. And we don't know, we don't understand the full impact of that yet, But I see the fruits of people moving across the world in their faith with their backgrounds. And I'm hoping and praying that there'll be a major fruit, good fruit out of this terrible situation across the world.
3: How would you think... um... We only got, I, I know I wanted to talk about some of the offerings you're doing, which you mentioned already, and if people want to learn more about the trauma care stuff the, that you've been doing as well as this limb fit Prosthetics Program that you're launching here to help those who lost limbs, um, go to the shepherdsfoundation.org. But I guess my last question for you, Vitaly and Marshall, as you both have witnessed this, what, how do you see the Spirit of God moving in Ukraine right now? Who wants to take that one? you know i was there paul in in november so i
4: can speak from an american's perspective um meeting the uh team at camp maximum which i think is representative of of those people of faith in ukraine uh that i met uh there is uh a resolve that god is in control and uh they're going to do uh every little little bit uh, that they need to do as individuals to uh, uh support god's plan moving forward uh and there's there's a resolution that uh they're going to continue to work together as one um, until they achieve uh victory uh honestly, I was in tears uh meeting with the team and uh hearing the uh, the stories from some of our team who lost uh, family members, who lost their homes, who really lost everything, but their faith is still remaining strong. It
3: it was just overwhelming to me, the courage of those folks. What about you, Vitaly? I mean, what are you sensing as God moving um, in Ukraine right now among the churches and among the people?
2: Uh, you know, the... I think there is a revival among the churches that um, in this new crisis, new circumstances, uh, the churches and Christians rediscover their purpose. and uh, people, in this terrible circumstances, they are more open to see God and understand, find the answers for themselves. So this is a difficult, terrible time, but at the same time, the church is as strong as ever in Ukraine. And so all of us are working really hard to connect with people to serve them and to be able to, through this service, to tell them about God and uh, His best plans for their lives. And I think the it's only the beginning and there is a big plan how God is going to use each one of us for his glory and for his kingdom. So in, in
3: short, what somebody said, told yesterday, or said yesterday, that uh, what, the, what the enemy meant for evil, God has turned around for good.
2: Exactly. Right.
3: Uh, yeah. Marshall Wade and uh, Vitali Sauko, thank you for joining us on Mornings with Carmen on this anniversary date of the invasion. It's our pleasure, Paul. Thank you so much. I can. Thank, thank you, you. thank you both this is mornings with carmen up next uh, we'll hear briefly from max lucato Okay, Facebook's parent company, Meta, says from now on it's going to be harder to land in Facebook jail. The social media giant says it's reforming its penalty system so that people will be less likely to have their accounts restricted for less serious violations of the company's policy. Hey, I'm Paul. Thanks again for listening this morning. Filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen when we look at the Internet. Um, This happened last week. Last Tuesday, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri introduced a bill to ban children under the age of 16 from using social media. The legislation, which is entitled Making Age Verification Technology Uniform, Robust and Effective, uh, or the acronym Mature Act, would require social media companies to not allow a person to make an account unless the platform verifies that they are at least 16 years old. Now, the same day... Hawley also introduced the Federal Social Media Research Act to commission a government report on the harm of social media on kids. He said well-funded research on the scale of social media's effects on children should be conducted. The bill would also fund longitudinal studies to track the effects of social media over 10 years. The thing is, there has been research done in this area, and the results are increasingly pointing to this conclusion. Social media does have a causative negative effect on teen mental health, especially for girls. We're going to talk about that in about three minutes with our good friend Chris Martin of the Terms of Service blog. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. One more time, she'll be back in on Monday after her vacation with her husband out in Colorado skiing. Joining us now, Chris Martin, who's a content marketing editor for Moody Publishers, but also the author of the Terms of Service newsletter or blog. You can find that at termsofservice.social. He's got a book out by the same name, and in about a week and a half, isn't it, Chris? Your new book, The Wolf in Their Pockets, Thirteen Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead is due out, right? It's yeah, the, that's right. The seventh, March seventh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, yes, that's right. And you know, looking at what we're, what we're going to talk about today, I'm kind of thinking, uh, you know, you might have an update of that book at some point because more information has come out. Not that it's changed, changing your whole argument in that book. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in fact. Yeah, the the data we're talking about, which you kind of teased in your setup a few minutes ago, um, is just mounting data that's leading uh, lead researchers to be able to say that there is a causative relationship between teen social uh teen social media use and teen mental health, which I'll get to that in a second. But I, I have a chapter in The Wolf in Their Pockets on anxiety and how we deal with anxiety because of social media use. And in fact, I am pretty sure without looking at it, um, that I mentioned Jonathan Haidt, who is this social psychologist um who we'll talk about here in a second, who has for a long time uh had the current mental health crisis among teenage girls in his sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's been trying he he's basically what he's been doing is he's been chasing this idea and this belief that um social media is at the root of much of the mental health issues we're seeing among teenagers specifically teenage girls in the last decade or two and um he's looking at data pre-covid which is important given that covid was shown to have some mental health effects um and but he there's always been a There's always been an easy way to draw correlations between Mm -hmm. social media use and poor mental health among teenagers and teenage girls specifically. But there hasn't been enough data or strong enough data to show that increased social media use leads to increased mental health issues among teenage girls. Um, But now Jonathan Haidt, who, again, I mean, if you don't know who Jonathan Haidt is, he really is a leading social psychologist. He's written a number of books
3: we've had, yeah we've had him on on the morning show on faith radio it's quite a while ago i think it was around the time he released his book the coddling of the american mind yeah, cuz he he's exactly. been looking he's been looking at stuff happening with our youth like you said for a long time and so trends like this information like this is is definitely he's an expert in this area he's an expert yeah, in, yeah. in
1: this And and it's not there wasn't some giant new data release. There was a a partial release of the CDC's biannual youth risk behavior survey, which showed that most teen girls now say that they experience persistent sadness or hopelessness, like 57 percent of teen girls reported that they experience persistent Sadness or hopelessness, which is up from thirty six percent in twenty eleven, um, and thirty percent of teen girls now say that they have seriously considered suicide, which is up nineteen from nineteen percent in two thousand and eleven. So um, there's there is a lot of data coming out. It's not like there was some one landmark study. Aha! This study shows that social media use causes mental illness, but. There is now so much data pointing that way without getting into the particulars of how the research is done, because, A, I don't understand it fully because I'm not a PhD and B, uh, that would be boring. Um, (laughs) The the gist is this, that someone like Jonathan Haidt feels as though and others who who are who are kind of signing off on this with him can conclude now that social media use is a cause of mental health issues among teenagers, especially teenage girls, um, for a lot of reasons, but particularly that. The way teenage girls resolve and handle conflict is exacerbated by social media in a way that it isn't with teenage boys often. So, yeah, that um, I, I cover, I talk about Jonathan Haidt in in The Wolf in Their Pockets and talk about uh, social media and anxiety. But it is notoriously difficult historically to draw a causative relationship between the two. But finally, we're you know it's just one of those things where it's like, man, smells like this is the case, looks like this is the case, sounds like this is the case, but we can't really pinpoint the fact that social media is a cause. And now finally we can. And that's really big because Mm -hmm. that it frankly, that will help many of us who would like social media companies to be held accountable for this sort of thing and to be kind of forced to do something about it. This will go a long way, I think toward making that happen.
3: Yeah. How is social media responding to this? I mean, have you followed that how
1: different uh, social media platforms are reacting to even that CDC report? Sure. Yeah. I haven't seen anything yet, which is not surprising because silence is, you know, if if this is um, if you're being accused of this kind of thing, silence is going to be one of your best cards to play. Um, However, Jonathan Heights article was only published two days ago. So, you know, this is quite this is quite early and the CDC data has only partially been released. And so, frankly, I think what it will take is more pressure from government officials, politicians, even nonprofit groups to start wielding this data sort of like a weapon, if you will, in their fight against social media's impact on young people. Um, it, the The data just releasing, nobody's necessarily pressuring social media platforms to do anything about this. But I think this, this sort of thing will put a tool in the hands of those who maybe have the ability to pressure social media platforms. And I think legislation like what Senator introducing is introducing is, is um, a step in the right direction. Uh, and but it does it takes, you know, this stuff just takes time where I was mm-hmm. talking with a friend the other day just yesterday about, you know, what how much of the onus, how much of the responsibility on improving teens relationship with social media is on, you know, the government or such regulatory action and how much of it's on parents. And it's like, well, it's kind of both. Right. I mean, it's it is on parents, but a lot of parents, A, don't feel equipped to to uh, lead their kids in this space because it's still so new and they still feel so ignorant in that regard. I mean, even t- parents of today's teenagers didn't grow up with social media, and so they simply don't really know what it's like to be a teenager on Instagram. And so they, they don't really realize that maybe they're handing their 14-year-old girl a loaded gun socially and mentally yeah. when they hand them the keys to Instagram. Um and, and so I think parents just simply don't get it. And so I think uh and, and the platforms aren't really helping parents in that regard. Um they're they're preying on kids, frankly, a lot more than they're protecting teenagers. And so I think that some government intervention, some pressure at the very least some pressure on platforms to do a better job of protecting teenagers, whether that's raising the age, perhaps that's the right answer. And and I'm sure there are other factors as well. This is very complicated, but I do think that this sort of data and conclusions from this sort of data will go a long way to helping action start to be taken. Okay.
3: Now, for those who are trying to really understand it as adults, what's been happening, I mean, obviously, your book is going to be a great resource, "The Wolf in Their Pockets." But what are some other resources you can think of too that they can quickly go to to at least get up to speed?
1: Man, that's a great question. I, I think you reading widely is is very important. The thing is, like, there aren't many people who are just writing on social media regularly with a regular cadence. That's part of why I do what I'm doing is because I think it's, it's important. This stuff changes all the time that, um you know, I could write books on it, but in some, my, my book's not going to be outdated in six months, but certain things are going to become less relevant in six months. And so that's why regular, um regular, like online communication through videos or through podcasts or things like that. Um, I'm, I think the gospel coalition does great work, but the thing is, is they're, they're publishing a lot of content. And so um sometimes contributors like myself or other, Others will publish content there, but they they don't have like a social media columnist per se. Hmm. And so I think I think having um, a regular sort of diet of a very of a, a variety of social media uh, resources, whether it's podcasts or um, people like myself and my newsletter, or others like Jason Thacker does a good job. But but a lot of folks like Jason, for instance, who's a friend of mine, does a really great job. On, on stuff regarding social media, but he does a lot regarding AI and other forms of technology. And so, a lot of folks who cover these things, like I do, are, are covering a wide swath of topics. And so, um, I would say find find frankly, if you're a Christian parent, find Christian people writing on these things, but also find non Christian. I mean, Jonathan Haidt's not a Christian as no, far as not. I know. No, and and this this data it would be very helpful for a Christian parent to have. So, I think there's a lot of ways where Christians can learn from non-Christians in this space. Um, So find some good columnists who are writing for, For bigger news outlets um, and like The Atlantic Derek Thompson does a lot of great work in this space he's a really data driven researcher and journalist um, so just find a few names that maybe you could ironically follow on social media or subscribe to their newsletters mm-hmm. um, and try to keep a, t- keep tabs on what they're writing and what they're saying we'll have the link to the article
3: from Jonathan Haidt on our, in our show notes for today's podcast you'll, you'll find that at myfaithradio.com after the podcast is up or if you're subscribed to the mornings with Carmen podcast you'll already get it that way as well well when we continue um there's been a lot of talk about these uh, chatbots chat gpt and and i don't know about you but i'm getting weirded out when i read i did when i read an article uh just a few days ago about one person's interaction with the bing chat gpt and well anyway we'll talk about that and uh hopefully Hopefully Chris can talk me off the wall here a little bit because I was weirded out. But this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Filling in on Faith Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
3: Okay, I've watched enough Star Trek. uh, You know, Next Generation saw Data, who was an android who aspired to be more and more human that's one thing that's sci-fi that that's 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 a movie but you know when you're act- interacting with a chatbot that says all of a sudden I want to be human okay you get a little uh, weirded out as I was I'm Paul and it wasn't my interaction by the way this was an article I read by Jacob Roach and it just it was it was weird Chris with the the chatbot uh, chatbot even at one point saying please just be my friend please I just just talk to me. It's like, okay, what's happening here? Am I am I am I properly weirded out, or um, is it? There's more to it. I assume.
1: Yeah, well, and that's that was an article in Digital Trends, and one of the just a minute ago before the break, we were talking about you know, hey, find some good people to read on the topics of social media and the internet. One of the one of those people that I read regularly, his name is Kevin Roos. He's a columnist at. Uh, the New York times. And he writes a lot about social media, but internet culture generally. And so this kind of falls into his purview and I read his column pretty regularly. And he, he had a similar experience on, on, I think Valentine's day or the day after he was kind of doing some research on Bing's chatbot, bot, um, chat GPT, and he started interacting with it. And, and he wrote in his column the next day that, um, it actually renamed it. It said, "Actually, yeah, my name's not Bing, my or Chat GPT. My name is Sydney. And you're married, but you don't love your spouse. So you're married, <laughs> and you love you love me." The chat bot told him. And so he said, "He said he was getting really creeped out by it." So th- this is a common. This is a not common, maybe, but this is happening across a handful of spaces. And uh, you shouldn't be freaked out. Um, there's been a lot of not. I wouldn't say intentional sense sensationalization. I don't think these reporters are trying to be deceptive. I think they're actually trying to learn how these things work. Um, but there has been some sensational talk about chat GPT and these various, I call them search engine AI bots. Um, they're not as sophisticated as they sound and seem. They're quite easy to manipulate. Actually. I've only tinkered with them a a little bit just because frankly, the thing that creeps me out most is, um, what information i could be giving up about myself by interacting with them not so much what they're actually saying um Mm, the way i've described it and yeah 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 not many people do um the uh the thing that i have said and this isn't necessarily true but it's how i have described it is it's not like something like chat gpt this ai search engine i guess you could call it that that bing slash microsoft hasn't purchased but has invested heavily in and has paired up with their bing search engine um is it's like if google is prose chat gpt is poetry Mm. it's not returning you anything different it's not thinking for itself it's like a really fancy parrot that just heard the entirety of the internet in the last five minutes and is can repeat it back to you at will. Does it like that's okay. It's, it's not, it's not thinking for itself. All it's doing is reading an insane amount of data and information in a very short period of time and returning it to you as you inquire about whatever it is. And instead of returning you a list of 30 links like Google does on its first couple of pages, it's just returning you the content of some of those web pages in a in a form that makes it sound like it's a person rather than a piece of technology so it's not it's not thinking for itself it's not sentient there's nothing weird like that going on trust me it's it's just instead of serving you links that you have to go click on and read for yourself It's serving you the content of those links in a very educated fashion, thinking like instead of making you go click these things, I'm going to serve it up to you in a conversational tone so that you can read it here rather than go click wherever you're wanting to go click. And so um, it's it. Chat GPT and these various AI search bots are dumber than they maybe look (laughs) based on how people are interacting with them. They sound and look very sophisticated, but they can be tricked pretty easily. There are many situations. These don't get reported quite as widely where they have been uh, returning false and wrong information. And so that's a big concern is they don't cite anything. That's the other thing. That's part of the problem because it makes it sound like they're they're
3: there live. So for all we know, this uh, being – Chat was quoting some book.
1: Yeah, exactly. And th- there's a huge ethical conversation, which I already know that Jason Thacker, who you guys have interacted with a bit here, has been having some conversations about this. There, there are a lot of ethical implications. As and I work as a publisher, um, you know, in a publishing house, like are, are books and other documents being cited as like, oh, I just got this from GPT as though. That As, as the, as the chat GBT authored this information, um, whereas it could just be maybe not copy pasting it, but certainly paraphrasing uh, content that's copyrighted and, and, and is actually owned by other people. But there are no links. There are no citations. There are no sources. So it's very feasible that if this if we aren't careful. In three or five years, Paul, people could be saying, well, chat told me this. It must be true. And it's like, where where is it getting its information? Right. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's not citing anything. OK, there, there we have it. And there's already been documented cases where it's returning false information. And so we just we need to slow our roll on this stuff, you know, between like this and the metaverse last year. Hey, uh, this stuff is interesting. It's interesting technology. But like. Let's let's uh, pump the brakes a little bit and have a little bit of wisdom as we as we maybe don't crown this stuff the next iteration of the internet or something.
3: So I don't need to wear that uh, tin foil hat. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, thank you again for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Always good, and again, it's. Uh... A little over a week away, your latest book, The Wolf in Their Pocket, and I assume people can pre-order it because this is going to be a helpful book for, uh, well, for church leaders, you know, youth ministers, uh, pastors, parents, teachers, uh, because that's what it's really meant to do. It's meant to guide the adults
1: helping out the young people, Right. Yeah. And frankly, the adults helping the other adults uh, because social media and social media use though we talked about the data today is it should not be relegated to the youth room in our churches. And so um, Facebook is shaping your boomers as much as TikTok is shaping your Gen Zers. And so, yeah, we uh, the book is for leaders of people, disciplers, parents, church leaders, community group leaders. I say, hey, I see social media is shaping the people that I care about and that I'm in charge of discipling. What can I do about that? And so my, my book, The Wolf in Their Pockets, is just a, a tool to help leaders better lead and disciple uh, while social media is discipling the people they love.
3: Well, when Carmen's back, I'm sure that is going to be probably the next conversation we have with you. Sure. But again, thank you, Chris, for joining us. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot filling in this week. Thank you again for listening to Faith Radio. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen on this Friday. And a week from today is the start of the Set Apart Women's Conference here at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 3rd and 4th. Now, it's going to be a great time. Maybe it's kind of too last minute for you. There will be options to view this um, in a virtual fashion after the event. But... If you can be here to be in with the fellowship of, of other believers during that time, as well as spending time listening to Nicole C. Mullen, a singer and songwriter, as well as Laurie Short, who's an author, and then many other people who are going to be speaking there. And again, a great time of encouragement. I hope you can be part of it. If you're looking for more information about the Set Apart Women's Conference, March 3rd and 4th, starting a week from today, visit setapartconference.com. Again, setapartconference.com com. Well, again, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. Another hour straight ahead here on Faith Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks!